Hello and welcome to Incast, Incast's new podcast that delves into the trending issues shaping the world of public relations. Hello and welcome back. It's another episode of Inkcast from Ink House. I'm Samantha McGarry, your host, and today I'm here with two of my favorite people in enterprise technology PR, SVP Ed Harrison and VP Keith Janini. Hey guys. Good morning. Dan, thanks for uh, having us on. That's, uh, that is high praise, so I appreciate that <laughs> very much. Thank you. So for those of you who've been following the Ink House blog, um, it's been Enterprise Technology Month. And Ed and Keith here have been um, keeping the blog stuffed full of really good content to do with PR and enterprise technology, or B2B tech as we like to call it. So we thought it would be a good time to uh, to, to grab the two of you and chat about some of the things that, that we've covered on the blog in more depth. But I guess the first thing I wanted to ask both of you guys is why enterprise technology? What is it about enterprise tech? You've both been doing it for a long time. What is it about it that makes it so interesting? Keith, I'll start off. If, and Feel free to riff yeah, off. Go. Okay, go so I've, I've been doing this for, what years now? About 20-some-odd years. So I've mm-hmm. got a, 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 a gray hair and a gray beard to go with it. Um, enterprise tech, to me, it's there's a challenge in it because you're talking about some very arcane technologies, and it's really getting away from sort of the technology, but talking about what it enables you to do. Like, I found an interesting stat when we were putting together some of this content this month. Like, 70% of the Emmy Awards, or six, there was some very large percentage of Emmy Award-winning television programs. I call them television programs because I'm old. But this percentage of them were on streaming services that I wouldn't think of as broadcasts. Like, wow, what is, it in, what is the technology that makes that happen? It's things like optical networking, uh, uh, optical connectors, things like that. So it's really, it's the technology behind the cool things that consumers can see and make happen. Uh-huh. And what about you, Keith? Well, uh, much like Ed, I've got nearly 20 years experience doing this. And as you can imagine, you've seen a lot of different technologies over that time. I, I think that's probably the the coolest aspect of enterprise tech to me is it's always changing. In the mm-hmm. past 20 years, it's it's evolved a ton, but the challenge remains the same for a lot of enterprise tech marketers. It's it's how do I distill my, my story about a complex technology that other people might not understand and get my audiences excited about it. When it's a back-end widget, it's, it's a lot more difficult than when you're coming out with an iPhone 10. That is the crux of the matter. <laughs> and the other thing I think that makes uh, the world of enterprise tech PR uh, particularly different from, say, you know, consumer PR or education PR is that uh, an enterprise technology sale is usually a much longer uh, sales cycle. It can be the, 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 six to twelve months exactly. to, to make a sale. Right. So you're so, and you're you're looking at you know when you're trying to get leads into the top of the funnel there, you're looking at a process that could be almost a year away from uh, being an end user. So it's way less transactional than other Correct. forms of PR. And so what does that mean in terms of how we approach you know the challenge of, of enterprise technology? You have to think about the top of the funnel first, and then it's an integrated almost marketing in, as well as content campaign as folks move down the funnel. What pieces of material will they be looking for if they read an article in InfoWorld? Will they then be looking for an ebook that might mm-hmm. dive into the technology a little more? Do you have a podcast set up? How inform- informational is your blog? Do you speak to industry trends? There's, there's a number of different ways, and it, it really all comes down to how um, the most effective method for reaching your audience right. as opposed to what what you think information should be put out there. So uh, let me ask you this. What do you think has changed most profoundly in enterprise tech PR in the last 12 well, months? Well, I'll, 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 I'll go with the thumb factor here. I, I, I don't know if you guys remember the industry standard, that great magazine that would come every week. In some weeks, it was like 300 pages. And like there was just a world of publications that don't exist anymore. Right. And there was no 
no shortage of places to place your client story because there's mm -hmm. so much happening. There's so much, you know, ad money was pouring in. Things were, uh, I sound very old when I say this, but things were fantastic. That universe has changed dramatically. Uh, it's it's no longer, um, there are fewer publications. It's like, are any of the tra tech trades still in print? I, if they are, it's dramatic. It's almost a special issue. They are in print. You know, right. E-Week used to be a full, you know, broadsheet type thing. And then, you know, last time I saw it, it was eight and a half I mean, by eleven. E-Week, you had InfoWorld, you had Information Week, Interactive you had Computer week. World. Yes, interactive. I mean, those those are those are heady days, and there was no shortage of ways to tell your story. Right now, the challenge is that that universe is changing. But I think, as we've talked about in the blog this month, it's opened up new opportunities uh, for PR and marketing practitioners and for our clients as well. Yeah, I think I think the days of counting clips are long done. It's it's more about um, tracking the metrics to your site and things like that. And it's as well as to Ed's point, there used to be multiple opportunities to secure coverage, and so th your your job almost ended. You'd send the the coverage over to the client. Maybe they'd frame it up and put it on their wall. Job well done. Pat on the back. But those days are long gone. And it's more about how you amplify the coverage you do have. How do you merchandise it? How do you use it within your sales cycles? And just make sure everyone within the organization is is kind of geared up to, to help support the PR engine to make sure your efforts are having the broadest impact. And let me let me add a little bit to that, Keith, if I could. I think yeah, you know, back in the day, you'd get a clip, and it would be it was a uh, a static moment in time. It was discreet, and it was done. You know, like the thunderstorm from last night, you're never going to see it again. Mm -hmm. Now we want to extend the life, and there are so many ways to amplify this, uh, to uh, from equipping your sales force to do it, to sharing it on social, to paid amplification programs, things that didn't exist beforehand. So the effort you put into a piece of coverage uh, doesn't end when the coverage hits. It actually just begins then. Interesting. So um, you talk about a piece of coverage, and I think the thing that uh, we'd all agree has changed so much is that once upon a time, that piece of coverage used to be, here's my product, here's my new upgraded product, it does this, this, and this better than it did before, and, and that was it. And uh, I think we all know that sort of product PR is not really what it used to be. I think, I think unless you're announcing uh, an iPhone, it's just not, it's not happening anymore. It's taken our side of the house, if you will, a while to get there. But I think you know the formula of we have a new product or we do an annual update. We should do a press release around this. Let's pitch it. Let's do a tour and let's get some coverage. I mean, those those days are long gone now, and we're talking less about product uh, specs, more about uh, capabilities and benefits, and really about emotional drivers. For, I mean, and this is emotional drivers for customers. This is fun stuff that. You know, consumer PR people have been doing for decades. We're finally getting to do this now, and it's a, it's a lot more fun than writing about the uh, capabilities of uh, you know some sort of arcade backend technology. Well, what I think is also interesting, and it's something that you guys probably come up against, and your clients come up against, is 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 like you said, you can you can get attention if you're Google, if you're Oracle, if you're Salesforce, if you're Cisco, but not everybody you know is that enormous and/or public. Uh, so how does everybody else get their fair slice of the action? It's a good segue, Sam. I think one of the ways is to jump on the trends that you're seeing from the Oracles and the Microsofts and mm -hmm. talk about how your technology fits into the markets they're creating and that they're talking about. It's it's more about getting into the stream that already exists rather than trying to be a, a, a seed-funded company or a Series A-funded company and trying to create your own market. You can do that over time, but you need to start somewhere, and the way to break right. through is really talking about what's already going on in the current news cycle. Let's talk about influencers in tech PR. You know, in the world of consumer PR, you have your your, your Snapchat influencers and your parent bloggers or whatever. But uh, in our universe, there are influencers, and they they matter. And sometimes they can make the make the difference between you know 
um, a story in one publication and something in like you know Forbes because there are contributors galore right. in Forbes. How should we work with influencers in B two B tech? Yeah, should we? You know, how, what's the approach? Do they matter? Well, I, I, I think they do matter. I think it depends on the the client, the market, and what the client uh, needs you to do. I think there are, you know, for different technologies, there are different influencers you go after, both from, uh, you know, contributors at uh, at Forbes or uh, even at, you know, IDG publications to to analysts or independent uh, sort of thought leaders. I guess there's no real. I wish there were a neater answer to this, like saying, oh, you know, mommy or daddy blogs. Mm-hmm. But they're, 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 despite the fact that you have, both work in enterprise tech and have a mommy blog, those are two separate audiences here, I think. And I believe that, uh, you know, it's not quite uh, so uh, tidy a package for, uh, for enterprise and B2B tech. But uh, for each of our clients, we do research to find people who are, you know, who are being quoted in the press, who are uh, doing a good job of promoting themselves and making sure we connect with them uh, socially with content that is, content rather, that is of interest to them. Yeah, I think I think the influencer term is is probably a little overused and abused mm. by PR folks because mm. a lot of a lot of times we try to lump everyone from from media to social people to independents right. all under that influencer bubble, and and I and I think it it makes sense because they you can approach them in different ways. Like I wouldn't approach an IDG reporter the same way I would approach um, maybe a, a third party expert at some consultancy shop. Mm-hmm. So I think I think we kind of need to separate those folks and, and think about them a little differently and, and figure out the the best approach that's going to be the most effective for them. You know, Keith, I'll add to that. You know, I, I think of them almost as uh, sort of ad hoc members of the media, and I would approach them the same way I'm pitching media. Look at what they've written about and see what they're interested in, and right. try and find a story for them that uh, that matches up well to that. Right. So it's really just a matter of doing your homework and knowing what uh, what drives them, and keeps them uh, engaged. That that's very true. So um, on a recent blog post, uh, you talked about the sort of the old mode of release, pitch, and hope, yes. which I thought was an excellent way of kind of describing the universe that, uh, you know, we all started out I mean, in. this is, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, in my late Tell 40s. Tell me more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is the, the, you know, the sort of first internet bubble uh, when you could, if you had a product you were announcing, you did it in a very uh, sort of uh, tactical uh, cookbook type of way where you, uh, you wrote a press release. You pre-pitched media, maybe you saw them in person beforehand, tried to secure all your coverage so the new product launch would happen on a, on a Monday and everything would hit along with that, and then you just hope for the coverage to hit. And that doesn't work anymore. And we Why doesn't it work anymore? Well, I mean, the outlets that we would pitch, number one, are no longer <laughs> there. There's, there's that, certainly. And number two, there's really not, um, even at the outlets that do exist, they're not right. The product roundups and coverage are very small. You're, there might Maybe the trades have like monthly roundups where you get two sentences out of it, but the amount of horsepower you put into it, I don't know that a lot of sales are coming uh, through right. that way. I think, uh, I mean, I think there's uh, certainly other ways to get your product news out there, uh, whether it's you know, using your customers to evangelize for you, uh, using your own blog to talk about it, but certainly not expecting that you know, the presses uh, will be stopped, so version 2.2 is going to get its fair story. It, those days are just long gone, unfortunately. So what do we do now instead? You have to be more strategic. It's not as playbook oriented as, as it once was. Sure, there, there are processes that will work over time, um, but it's, it's more about thinking about uh, instead of, and, and I know, you've, Sam, you've talked about this on the blog before mm. with, with our CEO, Beth, and others, but it's, it's, it's no longer about what you do. It's, it's about how you think or how you go about doing it or what, what kind of difference it makes in the world. And I think a lot of times with enterprise tech, that's the biggest challenge of telling the story because you might be two or three steps removed from the end consumer, right. but the benefit, they're still reaping the benefits of your mm-hmm. technology. So it's really 
it's uncovering those different layers of an enterprise tech story and figuring out, Ed, you mentioned this earlier, what the emotional connections are at each of those layers for each audience. And I think if, if you kind of dissect it that way, you can often figure out instead of just creating a press release, pre-pitching it and, and hoping for the best, you can actually generate real storylines that are going to get through to your customer audiences. And Sam, I'll add a little more to that. I think, you know, being a, a Bostonian and a, a native of, of the Commonwealth, we have a long history here of uh, enterprise tech. I mean, going back to, uh, you know, growing up, half of my neighborhood worked at uh, either Ra you know, Raytheon, Wang, Deck. Wang, Deck. I worked <laughs> summers back. at a data journal warehouse in Southborough. So, I mean, there's a lot of history here about uh, enterprise tech. And we've, you know, as a region, I think we're very proud of doing sort of the hard the hard stuff, the less glamorous stuff, and right. our job is to try and make and that bolts. exactly. But our job is to make the, those nuts and bolts uh, a bit more palatable, and to tell stories about people that use the technology and benefit from it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about trade shows because <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't? Trade shows in the tech industry is still relatively healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, they've been through their ebbs and flows, but if you think about like the Dreamforce or the RSA, you know, there are some big landmark trade shows in this industry. And a lot of time we encounter clients who are launching things and investing a lot of time and money in a trade show and want to do PR around it. And, you know, I have my thoughts about how to do PR at a trade show or if, but I'd be interested, uh, interested to know yours. I tend to, uh, to be more if not. We should not do it at a trade show. I mean, it, dep it depends on the show, but the level and volume of noise, it's so hard to bring through the clutter. I think you have to rethink, you know, why are you at the trade show? Are you there to try and to gather more leads and really focus on the sort of the, uh, the desired end outcome? If it's to generate a bunch of buzz and have a bunch of things hit in the press the day of the trade show starting. One, most of those publications don't exist anymore. And two, uh, it's unlikely it's going to happen. That you're not going to hijack Salesforce's show. It's just not going to happen. So I think we, we, we it's our and job. And other eyeballs even there. Exactly. It's our day job one to, of the trade show. It's our job to set realistic expectations, both for when we're at larger trade shows or even when we do our own uh, user conferences for our clients too. The, right. The, you know, I look at you know, user conferences, for example, you know, you know, we would traditionally try to invite press to attend those, and it's getting harder and harder yeah. to do that. Now it's a great opportunity for us to, to do live social from, to mm -hmm. meet customers and interview them, do uh, films or other uh, sort of uh, create content with them there or while we're there as well. And I think it's just sort of resetting the expectations of what a trade show is for and what you get accomplished there. Yeah, absolutely. I, Ed, you said most of it, but I, I mean, the, the one benefit of trade shows from a media perspective, both both the large and small ones, is it's it's still a great venue for relationship building. If you mm -hmm. can grab FaceTime with a journalist for 15 or 20 minutes, it, it, it matters in the long run. And, and to Ed's point, they may not cover your news, and it may not even make sense, as you were alluding right. to, Sam. If, if they do cover it, is, is, anyone, is anyone paying attention? Right. If right. a tree falls in the forest. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think, I think there's still great opportunities for, uh, for relationship building, and I do think... If you look at the smaller shows, you can actually see where the trends are coming up. Like, is mm. is Python becoming more popular for data science based on attendance to those Python community events? Right. It, it was. It's very similar to how the Hadoop industry evolved a few years back. So you can really uncover the tech trends if you're if you're paying attention to, to kind of what trade shows are really really kicking butt. Interesting. I'm going to leave with that with one question for both of you, which is, what are you most excited about in enterprise technology in terms of what's coming up next? Actually, I'm going to, I, do you mind if I go ahead? I, mean, I was excited. <laughs> wow, for the I, yeah, I, know, I know. excited. <laughs> I'm going to give you uh, two answers, one from a consumer point of view, just because I'm excited about this. Uh -huh. uh, 
voice control. I have, I, now that Alexa can finally do some things in my house and it's not just my, my family no longer makes fun of me for buying one, it actually does more than tell me the weather. I can control my sonos with it, it's fantastic. I think there's going to be I a lot. I haven't figured that out yet. I just figured that out. It's amazing. Okay, and I think, we have to talk. And I think there's going to be some some great uh, enterprise capabilities uh, using voice as a uh, interface coming up in the future. Uh, I'm particularly excited about the world of uh, simulations, the whole concept of uh, digital twins, creating wow. for uh, you know uh, for either manufacturing, for MRO or asset management performance. You know, we do some work with GE Digital that does that. There, you know, companies like uh, Dassault Systems, MathWorks, PTC. All um, do these. They talked about these simulated worlds where rather than building a whole assembly line, they simulate it first and see if it's going to work. Right. Or they can simulate a twin of an object you're trying to take care of and plan out maintenance from that. There's some really cool things that are happening there, and I think uh, Gardner just did a big report about it. I think it's going to be very hot in 2018. Wow, got to look at that. And you? Well, I think I, I think it's a, it's a little similar to Ed's Ed's uh, voice technology predictions, but. Um, Every single one of my enterprise tech clients, doesn't matter what industry they're in, whether it's data, developer, uh, et cetera, are, are talking about some form of AI. Mm -hmm. And I know that was talked about a lot this year, but I think, I think it will really start to materialize in 2018 where we actually see real AI applications that are making a difference in the B2B business world. Um, the other one is one I think was hyped in this past year and maybe even the previous year is uh, virtual reality, VR. And, I, and it's not the VR in the sense of Sam, you and I put on our glasses and it looks like we're in Aruba. Right. It's, it's more VR <laughs> Which sounds great, though, yeah. in the sense of, you know, factory line workers and others will have little glasses on that let them know what part they're taking and a red light might go off if they're grabbing the wrong part. Just things that will help from an efficiency perspective and just um, just drive overall business value from an operational standpoint as a, as compared to a lot of the consumer hype around what's going on with VR. Fantastic. Well, you know, technology just keeps going. And I, for me, it just keeps changing the world. And I am forever curious about it, as I guess you guys both are. Thank you so much for your time. This is great. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Sam. And that was InCast with Samantha McGarry. Thanks for listening.